So the state of Ohio made it to, on the NPR show uh, on Saturday, and on May 19th, the police, police in North Ridgeville received a, man, a call from a man claiming he was being followed by a pig. So they went out, it's like 5.25 in the morning, and they went out expecting to find someone quite drunk. And they actually found a man quite sober, and indeed, he was being followed by a pig. And so they, I saw the picture, there was a picture of the pig in the, in the back seat of the cruiser. Seriously, that's, and they took the pig in for custody, booked him for bacon and entering. In the, in the end, they released him back to his owner with just a ticket for porking. There's, there's, it's actually a true story. Actually, is a true story. Obviously, these kind of pictures that are out of the ordinary are newsworthy because they're out of the ordinary. They get our attention. And out of the ordinary pictures, whether humorous or sometimes tragic, they do jerk us out of mental ruts. Our assumption that things will always stay the same. Never expecting things to happen out of routine or out of the ordinary. Sometimes that becomes the way we think about the life of the church and the life of God. We think everything's going to always be the same. God himself is very static. Uh, What happened in the past will continue to happen in the future. And we have no confidence that God can do anything new or different or out of the ordinary in the future. We can very quickly become bored with church, with the Christian life. We can lose our sense of wonder, our sense of awe at who God is. We had a sense of this somewhat in our own lives and somewhat in our church. And it's why we went down this pathway of teaching through the book of Acts. Our hope is that we can move more into a sense of awe and a sense of wonder of who God is. To be hungry for more. To pray bolder prayers. To pray more urgent and specific prayers. So what I'd like to do this morning is two things. One is, I want to hit the rewind button and take us on a little journey on where we've been through the book of Acts, the story of the early Christians. And then I'm going to wrap up by sharing five things that we can do to experience the presence of God. We've talked about this series, part of its mission being about taking the Unreal and learning how do we make it real. Taking the unexperienced and learning how do we make it the experienced. Part of the equation in that is the ministry and the function of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a journey first on where we have been. We chose the book of Acts to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often the forgotten God. He's the neglected member of the Trinity. 
He's often shrouded and veiled in confusion and in controversy. So we just wanted to take an open, new, fresh look at what the scriptures teach us about him as he worked himself through the story of the early church. So in the first and second chapters, on the very first week, we talked about the function of the Spirit. And we answered that question by saying the function of the Spirit is not to exalt himself. The Holy Spirit comes primarily as a servant, and his function is to throw a floodlight onto the person of Jesus. Secondly, we talked about how the Spirit brings power. There, our lives ought to crackle with power. Power comes to us through God in the Holy Spirit. We become a new creation. He puts us on a pathway to becoming holy. He begins to transform our lives. There's a power there. In the third week, we stayed in chapter 2, and we learned how the Spirit forms community. He connects Christians together. The early believers gathered and united around the apostles' teaching, which was simply imparting what Jesus had imparted to them. And the Spirit brought a dynamic, mutual love and mutual respect and a true, authentic community. The fourth week, Rich gave a tremendous message on God's power to physically heal. And Rich went through a number of examples demonstrating that God still heals today. He still will at times exercise that in a supernatural way. God physically heals and He emotionally heals as well. In the fifth week, we talked about prayer and the prayer life of the early church, their devotion to it, and how they prayed looking and expecting answers with an urgency. The next week, We saw how God brought swift judgment on hypocrisy and greed, communicating to the church that He is holy and that He had the power to expose sin. In the following week, we saw that power, you know, we so often think about power as being how to get in the right position so that others are serving me. But according to Christ, that power is turned upside down. And the power that comes into our life is not meant to get a position or have others serve us, but that we might serve them and have an other's orientation. And that was demonstrated in Acts 6 when some of the church's most capable leaders served the tables for widows, the church's most vulnerable group. The next week, we took a look, a long look at the Apostle Paul who will so much dominate the second half of the book of Acts. And we saw his conversion story. And in telling his conversion story, we began to develop a template for how you and me can tell our own stories. Chapters 10 and 11 told us how the gospel is able to break down existing racial and ethnic walls. So critical for the expansion of the gospel. We learn there that the gospel not only reconciles us to God, but it ought to reconcile us to one another, particularly crossing racial 
and crossing ethnic lines. Next in chapter 12, this is all throughout the book, we saw the power of the Spirit over unseen forces, over demons, over Satan, and over the enemies of God. This was such an important week because this particular message challenged the prevailing worldview in our culture and that often exists in the culture of the church, which is that God can no longer do anything supernatural. The only reality there is is the reality we can see. That's the assumption many of us make. And so we don't pray, we don't expect God to do anything because we bought into a naturalistic worldview. That message so challenged us to think and believe differently. Then in chapter 13, we saw the Spirit's unique role in sending out um, teams of people to spread and to evangelize the gospel, to spread the gospel and to evangelize. And then in the wake of that, to gather believers together as individuals respond to that message. It's the Spirit who initiated that work. And we also learned that week how you and me, though we live here in Columbus, Ohio, we can play an active part in supporting mission work all around the world through our prayer, through our financial support, through our emotional support. Acts 15, we learned how the Spirit um, not only sends out, but the Spirit also helps us internally to resolve conflicts, to resolve theological issues where churches tend to give up and separate and fall apart and break apart. We saw how and learned the power of incarnational listening and mutuality as we work through challenges and the power of staying together and how the Spirit was a part of that. Then in Acts chapter 16, we saw how the Spirit is involved in personal guidance, in speaking to us, in leading to us. I think, uh, I quote this later, I'm going to say it now. I believe it is 59 times the Holy Spirit appears in the book of Acts. 36 of those appearances, He is speaking, guiding, leading. And what we argued from that was that the Spirit of God can speak to you and me today with the same power and the same clarity that He spoke to Moses, to Hannah, to Peter, to Paul, and to others. He may not use a burning bush or He may not use a rooftop. He will indeed use different forms, but He can speak with the same power and the same clarity. The question is, do we believe that we can have those experiences? Do we have faith that God can speak to us that way? If we don't, we'll never experience it. We'll never be open to even the possibility of it. And then finally, last week, Pastor Nick talked about, Pastor Nicholas Shiva talked about how God meets us in our suffering. Sometimes we think we want power in our life to prevent suffering. <laughs> See, that's, a, that, that's not the way the church That's how the world thinks. That's how the culture thinks. Again, the kingdom of God turns it upside down. Power does not prevent us from experiencing suffering. What power does is power helps redeem our suffering so that we don't fall into life-wasting bitterness and resentments. 
The power of God helps us put our sufferings in perspectives so that we can see them clearly, grow from them, learn from them, forgive others, and not have our lives wasted and just withered away by resentment and by bitterness. So that gives you a 30,000-foot flyover of where we have been in these 16 chapters of the book of Acts. Now, another interesting little number stat here is that in the book of Acts, and then in the letters that Paul wrote that the majority follow up what took place in the book of Acts, in those writings, 57 times the word power is used. Power is a very important element of what the New Testament and what the Bible teaches. But here's the little nuance that I want to communicate this morning. Sometimes when I hear Christians talk about this power, they talk about it like it's this thing. It's this entity. It's this force that has somehow divorced or separated from the person of God, from the presence of God. They treat the power of God like it's almost like magic. And if I say the right words, if I give some incantation, I can somehow tap into this global energy force, and I might slap the name God on that, and get whatever I want. Get whatever desire I want to have fulfilled. It's almost like we, like some Christians become like masters of how to channel God's power as if it's a thing they can manipulate. You see, power in the New Testament is never separated from relationship with God. It's never separated from the person and the presence of God. The power of God moves into our lives in order for us to have an ongoing conversational relationship with God through Christ. That is the end of the power of God. That's where the power of God is working and moving. You think about the theme of His presence. Again, power is connected to his person. And how I want to talk about that this morning is by this phrase, his presence. We sang about that just just a song ago. His person, his presence. And God's presence is a theme all throughout the Bible. God's presence was with the children of Israel after the exodus when they crossed into the promised land, and God led them by His presence, a cloud by day and fire by night. That presence eventually was housed in the portable temple, the portable tent, which the Israelites carried with them. When they camped, it would be in the very center of the camp, and from there the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, The presence of God was with them. Eventually, of course, the the portable tent would become a permanent home that Solomon would build. And the Israelites would have recognized that the temple houses, contains, embodies the presence of God, the glory of God, the weight of God. Then we bounce into the New Testament. And what does the New Testament say about the presence of God? Who now is the temple? Well, Paul makes it abundantly clear. 
Places like 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 3. We are the temple of God. Now the presence of God inhabits believers. And then particularly when believers believers gather in the church, the church is now the place that contains the presence of God, the glory of God, the person of God. From wilderness to the temple to the church. This is how the power of God reorients our hearts and our affections to love Him. This is how the power of God sets us free from the things that bind us. The things that crowd out our joy. It is the presence of God that we all truly long for. So this morning I want to just answer the question... How do we experience practically the presence of God? And I want to give five things here. We experience His presence in the gospel, through the church, through the word of God, as we use our spiritual gifts, and as we join God on His mission. Let's look at the first one. We experience the presence of God, the presence of Christ in the gospel. Turn to Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. It'll be on the screen here behind me, but it'll also be on page 977. This is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He met the the people in Ephesus. It was either Acts 18 or Acts 19 on his second missionary journey. And here he writes a letter to follow up with them. Beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the question. How are we filled with all the fullness of God? It is here by going deeper in the gospel. Understanding the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and the new creation that he brings. And notice in verse 18, may have strength to comprehend, or some versions say grasp. What this is communicating is that in order for us to have the love of God go from here to here, 12 critical inches, from the unreal to the real, from the unexperienced to the experienced, do you realize you can't do that by yourself? It's not just a matter of having the right information. It's not just a matter of hearing a message on it. It's not just automatic. You need the power of God, the Spirit of God, to help you grasp this four-dimensional, wild, crazy, outrageous, uncontainable love of God. It is a work of the Spirit to help you to grasp it. You're dependent upon Him. Notice the gospel contains the riches of His glory. 
Notice the gospel impacts us at a level that nothing else can. Your inner being, this inner man, this inner woman. This is why every Sunday, it's why every Sunday we try to connect our message to the broader story of the Bible, the gospel story, the story of redemption to every Sunday you're here to help you get a different perspective a deeper perspective of what the gospel, the story of God is. It's, we, we've been singing about it. It's why we sing about it. It's part of what we reorient ourselves to every Sunday. A deeper understanding of the gospel. And as we believe and respond to that, we will experience His presence. Secondly, stay in this passage. There's also one other, there's something else that we need in order to grasp To comprehend God's love. Do you see the little phrase there in verse 18? Comprehend with who? Yeah, with all the saints. It's real plain. You and me, we can't comprehend this on our own. We need the church. We need one another. We experience the presence of God through His church. You see... Every one of you has a love song. And the love song that God wrote to you, guess what? It's a little different than the love song he wrote to me. And a little different love song than he wrote to the person sitting next to you. And when we get together and share our albums, and this church has got an album. This church has an album. God's love songs to us. When we get together and share those albums We see the love of God from different vantage points, from different perspectives. It would be like seeing a waterfall from an aerial view, seeing it from a a bottom-up view, seeing it from a view from behind. When I uh, was in East Asia the last couple of times, one of the cities there has a man-made waterfall. It's beautiful. And so they made it so that you're actually able to walk behind it and see a waterfall from a whole different perspective. This is what it's like when we share our stories. We see the love of God from a whole different perspective. We begin to get at this four-dimensional love that no textbook, no amount of knowledge, no amount of academic knowledge can contain this amazing, overwhelming love. It's how we experience the presence of God through the church and in the gospel. Let's look at the third The third point. We experience the presence of God through the Word of God. We experience the presence of God through the Word of God. I'm only going to comment on this briefly because we talked about this last week. Talked quite in depth about how the Word of God speaks to us. There is a part of that that we can control by simply every day opening up our Bibles And having the same attitude as Samuel had when he said, Speak, Lord, listen. Um, I I just lost it. Help me out, somebody. Thank you. Speak, Lord. Speak. Your servant is listening. Wow. It's like a brain just division there of some sort. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. That's what we, you and I can control. Now there's aspects that we can't control because the Spirit is like wind. 
But you and me, we can every day put ourselves in a place where God's able to speak to us and to meet our needs. You know, one thing I didn't share last week, I shared how the Spirit of God meets our needs, whether it's conviction of sin, whether it's comfort, whether it's encouragement, whether it's affirmation. But sometimes the Spirit of God through the Word of God meets needs that we're not even conscious of. Do you know that? Like God is aware of your needs, even the ones you're not aware of and conscious of. And the scriptures, particularly the Psalms, they help us to read our heart and read our emotions with a speed and a precision that no self-help technique can match. You want to search your own heart? You want to understand what's going on inside of you? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. He helps us search and understand our hearts. I love this verse, Deuteronomy 32, 47. Let's take a look at this. These words, the context of these words are, uh, the Israelites are about to enter into the promised land by crossing the Jordan. Moses is dying, and he's helping the people to follow Joshua, to respect Joshua, follow him. And he's preparing them for taking the promised land. Look what he says. They are not, referring to the word of God, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. The word of God speaks life to us. We do our part by opening our hearts every day to them. And that's where we can experience the presence, the presence of God. Let's look at number four. Number four. So in the gospel, through the church, through the word of God, we experience his presence. Fourthly, we experience the presence of God when we particularly use our spiritual gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. I want you to particularly notice here the Spirit's role in distributing gifts. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers, there's our, there's our key word for the series, who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul connects the work of the Spirit with Spiritual gifts. And they're given according to God's sovereign plan. Now think about this in the natural realm. And then we'll, we'll apply that to the spiritual realm. Think about the natural abilities and gifts and skills that you have. Some of you are gifted at woodwork. Others of you are gifted at crafts. Some of you are gifted uh, in, in athletics or in dance, or in music. Think about the feeling that you get when you really are able to exercise that gift. It's exhilarating. If you use it and it has a positive impact on others, and others see it and affirm it, it's really a beautiful, powerful thing. Now take that same sense and apply it to the spiritual realm where we have the capacity 
not just to cause an audience to applaud, but to actually win the applause of heaven, to actually extend the kingdom of God, to actually serve others in Jesus' name, or proclaim Him to lost people. Think of the power of when you use your spiritual gift. And many Christians have commented on this, that when they use their spiritual gift, they feel a certain anointing, a certain strength, a certain power. Well, what is that? That's the presence of God. It's the presence of God bringing that anointing, setting you apart for service. Now, I think it happens to a degree whenever we serve God, but, but I think particularly when we employ and use our spiritual gift to benefit the common good. In other words, we do it for the right reasons. We experience the presence of God in our lives. Now, we also have learned in the book of Acts that these gifts will have, at points, supernatural manifestations. And we should not be closed to these. Sometimes people were given supernatural knowledge and insight into situations they didn't know about. There were healings. Their rooms were shaken. All in wonder at his working when spiritual gifts were unleashed. We should not be closed to God working this way if he chooses to. You know, we really have a choice in our lives. We can be open and um, open to God working in ways of awe and wonder that will amaze us and stagger us. Or we can be like the people of the Gerasenes. Do you remember them? The Gerasenes demoniac. Jesus healed the Gerasenes demoniac. Someone that used to bother them and provoke them and scared their kids. But they got used to him. And when Jesus healed him and made him well, the people were terrified at this power of God and they wanted nothing to do with Jesus and they came up to him and they quickly exited him from their community. They wanted nothing to do with that kind of power. It terrified them. If God did amongst us some of the things he did in the book of Acts, how would you respond? Would we be open to God working in that way? Let's look at the fifth one. Finally, we experience his presence when we join him in mission. Luke 19.10 is the mission statement of Jesus. I have come, he said, in the context of Zacchaeus, after reaching out to Zacchaeus and giving Zacchaeus a rationale for his extravagant grace, Jesus said, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. You see, whether it is proclaiming the gospel to the spiritually poor or whether it is proclaiming the gospel and serving the physically poor, those those vulnerable, you see, that's where God is working. And when we join God in that work of proclaiming the gospel, of serving the least of these, that's where he is. That's where we can experience his presence. I told this story in a truncated form a few weeks ago. I wanted to share a little bit, a little bit more to it. When I was in East Asia this last 
December and January, we were building some friendships, and I met a wonderful man by the name of Chao Ling. Chao Ling uh, had knew no Christians up to one month earlier. His wife, through some amazing circumstances, his wife became a follower of Jesus. Up to that point, Chao Ling had no understanding, no connection, no real grasp of even what Christianity is. And over a period of four or five days, my wife and I began to befriend he and his family. He had a beautiful family. Very special man. We had a, a really wonderful connection and a, and a real special feeling about being with him. And I was really quite concerned for him. My pastor's heart was coming out because his wife became a Christian and it really upset his whole world. I mean, his whole world was turning upside down. He had, what does this mean? What is this? What, what, is, what, what is this? He was a fairly uh, practic- he was a practicing, not just a nominal uh, Buddhist. And so on our last day there, we're in the apartment of our host. We're going to leave that next day. And in a span of about two or three minutes, two different people, separate from themselves, came up to me each and just shared you need to share the gospel with Chao Ling. Both of them. My first response was actually, to be honest, was I I was reluctant. I couldn't tell them that because that just sounded bad. (laughs) But I was, my pastor's heart, my mercy heart was just so concerned for all that was going on in his life and how his life was being turned upside down. And I was in my heart arguing with them saying, this is not the time. Well, before I knew it, as I'm going through these mental wrestlings, there's Chao Ling. He had come up to me. Right there he was, right in, right in front of me. And there was a sense that in this moment, I'm just in an apartment on the other side of the world, and there's a sense that in this moment, Jesus Christ is right here. The presence of Christ. This little apartment was being turned into a temple. Right in this little apartment was the presence of Jesus. I, sure, I still was not sure what to do. But before I could, I just started praying, God, help me to know what to do. God, what do I do? You know what God did? He sent me Bob Waltman. Bob was on the other side of the room. Now, Bob didn't know Chao Ling's story. And Bob's not quite as sensitive as I am. So he walked over, and I, I don't mean to say that he was, he, was, he was not brash or abrupt or anything like that. Bob was very gentle. But Bob just began to tell the story. He began to tell the Christian story. And in a period of 20 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes, Bob and I both shared the Christian story from creation all the way to restoration. Now, Chaling did not become a believer in Jesus in that moment. But it was the first time, really, he had heard the meaning and the fabric of this Christian message. Jesus was seeking that man, was he not? Jesus was seeking that man. And if I wanted to experience the presence of God, I needed to be where God was. And that's where he was in that moment. And it's the same with you and me. We will experience his presence as we join him in his mission. We'll experience the presence of God as we join him in his work, I mean in the gospel, we'll experience his presence in the church, we'll experience his presence through the word of God, we'll experience his presence through the use of spiritual gifts, employing them, 
and will experience the presence of God as we join him on his mission. By the way, I believe that all five are important. All five work together and complement each other. Nick, you guys can come on up. I'm going I'm to go ahead and just conclude here. In Psalm 16, David said that in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. He understood it. Presence. His presence. That's what we long for. In his presence is fullness of joy. David also said that absence of God was his greatest terror. And really, isn't it ours, the absence of God? Psalm 51.11, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. That's our greatest terror, too, to, to be completely alone in this universe. You know, in other religions, in other religions, the favor of the God is sought for what is gained. The favor of the God is sought for the advantage that it brings, but not so with the Christian faith. And I'll conclude with this quote from Dallas Willard. Our contentment lies not in his presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. But in the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, of the one whose presence they are. In all of our trials, we are more than conquerors, because as we have seen, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Jesus' followers can say, and what their promise is, is that you will never, ever be alone in this world, in the age, in this age, and in the age to come. You will never, never be alone. His presence is with us. Father, thank you for this amazing promise. And as you work now in each of our hearts, help us, Father, to open up completely to you. Go where you want to take us. Not terrified of your power. Not terrified of your presence. Your holy presence. But knowing that we can come before you because you make sinners holy. And you get so much glory from it. God, continue to minister to us through song, through prayer, As we give back our offerings, continue, God, to minister to us. And may we minister back to you. Amen.